MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Chris Licht's transformation of CNN into a journalistic whorehouse is now complete. CNN is now bribing Donald Trump to accept its offer of a live town hall in Goffstown, New Hampshire, next Wednesday night, during which CNN says the questions will be asked by New Hampshire Republicans and undeclared voters and implies its only involvement will be to have the former Tucker Carlson website employee Caitlin Collins, moderate. CNN says nothing about real-time fact-checking, nor pushback, nor anything else that suggests it might exercise even the slightest editorial control over the program-length advertisement it is giving to this seditious madman. But I use that word bribing deliberately, because this is worse than just sacrificing the charred remains of CNN's credibility to Trump. There is a quid pro quo here. Hugo Lowell of The Guardian quotes people close to Trump who say he has agreed to appear on CNN on the understanding that CNN could now put more of his campaign surrogates on its programs. Lowell reports CNN denies there is such a deal, that it has surrendered even more editorial control, And it would be nice to believe that, after what Licht has deliberately done to destroy that news organization, that his denial, or CNN's institutional denial, could be taken seriously. But neither his nor theirs can be taken seriously any longer. Unfortunately, it must now be assumed that everything said by someone from CNN or on CNN, by Chris Licht, by Wolf Blitzer, by Jake Tapper, by Jim Schuto, by Jim Acosta, 
by the dozens of hardworking reporters in the field, by the producers, by everybody else who works there, not one of whom quit in protest of this prostituting of their news brand and their personal reputations, not one of whom even let out an anonymous squeak of regret to a real journalist covering this story, it must now be assumed that everybody who works on or for CNN are all lying because they work for a liar and they appear on a channel dedicated to lying, which has just sold the few remaining shards of its soul to the greatest liar of our time in Trump. CNN is now Fox News. If there was one consensus among virtually every American news organization, it was that there was no way any of them could rationalize treating Trump now the way they treated him in 2015, that he was now a proven would-be dictator who repeatedly tried to orchestrate the overthrow of the duly elected government of this country. Not even Fox has been repeating its fellating of this creature Trump, but CNN now is. And if Chris Licht and CNN people there did any thinking about this disqualifying act of reportorial malfeasance, it was not about learning anything about the catastrophic enabling of American media of Trump in 2016, because Chris Licht is fantastically stupid and reprehensible and amoral and irresponsible, and he cannot learn a thing. No, if he and CNN did any thinking about this at all, it began and ended with this sentence. Ooh, Fox's viewers are really pissed off at them for firing Tucker Carlson. I bet we can win them over by putting Trump on. That entire Fox audience is out there for the taking. It then took Trump barely two and a half hours after the CNN announcement to shit all over CNN and American journalism and the First Amendment and this country, all of which Licht and CNN have betrayed. That, two and a half hours later, is when Vanity Fair reported that it had obtained a recording of Trump abusing, threatening, and then grabbing the phones of an NBC reporter named Vaughn Hilliard because he did not like what Hilliard had asked him. Don't ask me any more questions, Trump snapped at Hilliard on board a flight to a rally in Texas. The date was March 26th. Hilliard had asked about Trump's seeming frustration about the Alvin Bragg investigation here in New York. That latest attack on the free press by Trump we already knew about, but new to our knowledge of just how sick and dangerous and violent Trump is, is Vanity Fair's further report that 10 minutes later, this NBC reporter Hilliard tried to ask Trump more questions about Bragg. Trump then grabbed Hilliard's phones, grabbed them out of the reporter's pile, and tossed those phones aside. I don't want to talk to you, Trump is heard saying on the recording of the event, Do you hear me? You're not a nice guy. When Hilliard persisted, Trump lost it, quoting again, All right, let's go. Get him out of here, out of here, out of here. As Hilliard again tried to ask a question, now a Trump minion is heard on the tape saying, Vaughn, we're done. Trump then turned his attention to the phones that were still recording him. Whose is this? he asked. Hilliard said it was his. Trump picked up his another phone. Whose is this? He asked. Hilliard said the second one was also his. Trump then threw both phones, and quoting Vanity Fair again, out of his sight onto the seat next to him, the thud of one of the phones hitting a surface can be heard in the recording. 
Vanity Fair reports that another reporter tried to continue the interview. It identifies four other media members who had been in the airborne gaggle with Hilliard before Trump had Hilliard expelled. There was an Associated Press photographer. There were writers from Axios and the Daily Mail. And there was Brian Glenn of the RSBN streaming propaganda channel. Brian Glenn is the one dating Marjorie Taylor Greene. This is the kind of conduct towards the media, towards the First Amendment, towards people, towards America, which Chris Licht just rewarded by handing over editorial control of CNN to Trump for at least an hour next week and for untold guest appearances later. But it must also be noted here that clearly NBC News also rewarded this scumbag Trump's delusions of omnipotence. NBC News did not report his aggressive behavior towards its own reporter, even though it was witnessed and recorded. And the Vanity Fair article clearly identifies that the recording it heard was made on one of the phones of NBC's Vaughn Hilliard. NBC did not defend Vaughn Hilliard. NBC has not offered any explanation of its misconduct in attempting to appease Trump. But a throwaway line in the Politico coverage of the Trump CNN News seems to explain what the hell NBC News chairman Cesar Conde and NBC News president Noah Oppenheim are doing. Quote, the former president and his staff have re-engaged the mainstream press corps after largely shunning them. They have been in talks for sit-downs with several other notable outlets, including NBC. In short, Conde and Oppenheim and NBC have been doing with Trump what CNN has been doing with Trump, whoring themselves out. Except NBC hasn't been quite as successful at it as CNN has. Yet. It will not happen. People don't do this anymore. You are not rewarded for courage or ethics. You are suspected. But CNN's irredeemable failure here, and NBC's, should be responded to not just by a viewer boycott, but by mass resignations by its hosts and reporters, and more practically, by its contributors and its regular guests, for whom there is, bluntly, less money on the table. This is CNN turning over its network to Hitler, only after the world had learned what Hitler really was, and after the world had been saved from him, and if he had been scheming and plotting to regain power. But if you go on CNN after this, you are part of CNN's collaboration with Trump and the genuine evil he represents. You are part of that collaboration, Anderson Cooper. You are part of that collaboration, Christiane Amanpour. You are part of that collaboration, Manu Raju. And let us not delude ourselves as to what kind of collaboration CNN and Chris Licht are committing here. Even though veteran Republican political operative David Frum quickly observed, quote, Trump using CNN to punish Fox for its big tilt to DeSantis, there should be no diminishing of our contempt of or reaction to CNN for this journalistic crime. CNN is not responding to a desperate play by Trump's latest handlers to mainstream him or to try to sand down the rough, inconvenient edges of insurrection or otherwise gaslight the nation, CNN and Licht started this. Again, quoting Politico, a person familiar with the discussion said CNN approached the Trump campaign several months ago 
and talks between the two sides continued on until Monday when the plans were locked down, unquote. Chris Licht solicited Trump the way a streetwalker solicits a client and not the other way around. But there is a second red flag in that part of the background to this deal between two devils. Are the plans locked down? The phrasing of CNN's announcement about its perfidy in print and on camera has been consistent, specific, and strange. Quote, Caitlin Collins will moderate the event, which will feature the former president taking questions from New Hampshire Republicans and undeclared voters who plan to vote in the 2024 GOP presidential primary, unquote. Will Caitlin Collins ask any questions? Will she fact check? The verb used to describe what the hell she's doing there is moderate, while the questioners are painstakingly identified as Republicans and others voting in the New Hampshire presidential primary. Only voters will ask questions of Trump? 63% of Republican voters still believe President Biden did not win the 2020 election. It isn't just that CNN is turning over its cameras, its facilities, its wasted reputation to Donald Trump. It is turning over questioning Trump to people who are also lying or deluded or both. People who, if we have any chance of saving representative government in this country, must be shunned and scorned and isolated and defeated as Trump must be shunned and scorned and isolated and defeated and not, as Chris Licht has just done, given their own national TV show on what is allegedly a news network and left to control its editorial content themselves live. Because clearly there are to be no journalists present. Caitlin Collins will be there, but she works for CNN. So after this nightmare, at best, she is, as all who work at CNN now are, ex-journalists. Still ahead on this edition of Countdown, I find that, yes, in the first episode of this podcast, I began to warn you about and criticize to you what Chris Licht would do to CNN in the first episode. This one now, the one you're listening to right now, this is episode number 191. Well, let me tell you the backstory of when Licht and I worked at MSNBC at the same time, and he was just the henchman for Joe Scarborough's attempt to silence all liberal voices there. Out of a total of $600,000 raised so far this year, how much of those campaign contributions would you guess Marjorie Taylor Greene has gotten from inside the district she represents? No, the figure is lower than that. No, the figure is lower than that, too. And what a week Dan Bongino is having. He gets fired as a weekend host by Fox, and though his podcast appears to show up among the six most popular in this country, it seems that all his listeners think his name is actually John Bangino. That's next. This is Countdown, or is it Catamount Down? 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. This is Countdown with Keith Oberman. Coming up, it was the great mystery of MSNBC. How did Joe Scarborough and his producer ever get their own show on the air when they seem to spend all their time trying to sabotage all the other shows on the air? Scarborough's producer's name was Chris Licht. First, postscripts to the news, some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline, Rome, Georgia. First quarter fundraising is in from the Georgia 14th Congressional District. Marjorie Barney Rubble Green has raised $601,518 this year. The locations of her top donors, $17,000 came from Arizona, $14,000 came from Texas, What about inside her own congressional district out of that $601,000 raised? She got $2,300. $2,300 donated to her campaign inside her own district from six voters. Six people that she actually represents. Only six of them donated any money to her campaign, which should tell you something about how they feel there about Barney Rubble Green.
Thank you, Nancy Faust. Dateline New York, nothing worse than having to give the book advance back. The Daily Beast reports that's the apparent fate of columnist Miranda Devine, who thought she had finessed the famous publishing hat trick. Devine works for the New York Post, owned by Rupert Murdoch. Her book was to be published by Harper Collins, owned by Rupert Murdoch. And the subject of her book was to be one of the stars of Fox Quote News, unquote, owned by Rupert Murdoch. Unfortunately, that star was Tucker Carlson, who has been owned by Rupert Murdoch in an entirely different meaning of that phrase. The book is on hold. Dateline here in the nation of Podcastia. Good news and bad news for Dan Bongino, the right winger, himself offed from his weekend show by Fox, except nobody remembers because it was like the day before Carlson got fired. A report on the fragmentation of the podcasting business by the website Semaphore identifies Bongino's as one of the top six most popular podcasts. 61% of podcast listeners say they have one podcast they listen to most. 5% of those said Joe Rogan. 2% said the New York Times Daily. 1% said Crime Junkie. 1% said Ben Shapiro. 1% Dateline, but little did they know. And 1% quote, the John Bangino show. <laughs> no, you know, there is a John Bongino or Bongino, but he's listed as the building supervisor for Smithtown on Long Island. And if there's a popular podcast about the Department of Buildings in Smithtown, Long Island, New York, I'm doing this wrong. Therefore, one must assume that either Semaphore has no idea who Dan Bongino is or his listeners don't. And Dateline Johns Hopkins University. Researchers there say that their research has found that from 2001 through 2020, more than 422,000 American adults were injured and needed treatment in emergency rooms for finger fractures, shoulder injuries, hip problems, knee problems, traumatic brain injuries, other trauma. 422,000 ER visits over 20 years and each one of them stemmed from accidents occurring while they walked their dogs on a leash. Still absolutely worth it. Still ahead on Countdown, CNN's own media reporter last night quoted a Trump source who says CNN executives made a compelling pitch to Trump to get him to, you know, destroy their own network the last part of that is my words but executives which executives on the other hand if you're chairman and ceo of cnn it doesn't really matter who else besides you you're the one who will be symbolically defenestrated sooner or later the backstory of me and mr lick coming up First time for the Daily Roundup of the Miscreants, Morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze? Greg Abbott won yesterday for being so detached from reality and humanity that when offering a reward for information on the murderer who executed five people in Abbott's state, he couldn't not dog whistle and refer to the victims as, quote, illegal immigrants, unquote. That was bad enough, but turns out at least one was not. Abbott lied. Diana Velazquez Alvarado had permanent resident status here and the government ID card to prove it. I am surprised Abbott has not yet reversed himself and now announced how furious he is that Ms. Velazquez Alvarado was the victim of an illegal immigrant murderer. 
Governor Greg Abbott is a genuinely sick man. Runner-up Donald J. Chump. Politics always makes strange bedfellows, but the worst person segment has always made strange bedfellows, strange bedding, strange mattress covers, you name it. Thus am I today defending Kaylee McEnany. Uh, I'm surprised the paper is not burning in my hands. Apparently, McEnany had been saying positive things about Ron DeSantis recently. Then she complimented Trump on a foreign policy speech. And so day before yesterday, he posted her compliment on social media, but added, I guess Kaylee is no longer speaking so favorably about Ron DeSanctimonious now that his polls are shot. Yes, Trump attacked Kaylee McEnany. I have no use for Kaylee McEnany. I really don't have any sympathy for Kaylee McEnany. But she carried her share of water for this turd. And she risked her share of indictments for this turd. And this just reminds you, dealing with Trump guarantees that sooner or later he will stab you in the back. Chris Licht. But our winner, Nikki Haley. It was sure a surprise to devote yesterday's commentary to why Senator Dianne Feinstein had to resign, only to find out that Ambassador Haley had tweeted that Senator Feinstein has to resign. My argument, of course, was and is we need that decisive vote for judges and subpoenas on the Senate Judiciary Committee to look into these six concurrent scandals on the Supreme Court. Surprisingly, that is not Haley's argument. Hers is an attempt attempt to attack Trump and Biden kind of sideways by demanding competency tests for any politician over the age of 75. I don't know how many politicians you've met or how many people on TV or how many people act, but it's always been my argument that needing to be on stage or on camera as a performer was a a small-scale emotional illness. I mean, if you recognized it, you were probably going to be okay man that needing to be on camera and have people listen to your opinions was a worse form of that same illness and recognizing it would help but not exactly cure it but that believing your opinion should rule a nation as president was the most dangerous version of that same illness so yes sure let's have competency tests for politicians but not just ones over the age of 75 i think we need them for any politician over the age of 18 Nikki, no, I said competency test, not IQ test. Haley, today's worst person in the world. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast 
NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast. To start listening. Still ahead on Countdown, I already told you this is Chris Lick's Mission Accomplished Day for the destruction of CNN. But if you don't know my backstory with him, why I say back at MSNBC we used to think he ate paste and how we all saw this day coming when he would destroy a network, I will tell you my backstory with him next. First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need. You can help every dog has its day to Tennessee and Canella. Canella was a pup, a sweet-tempered tan hound, not too big, not too small. But she was showing early signs of illness, so her, quote, humans, unquote, abandoned her on the streets. For two years, she lived there, suffering all the time with a parasitic infection called leishmaniasis also with anemia and a blood infection, and then House of Strays found her and saved her. And the good news is, despite two years of ever-worsening illnesses, a series of medications and antibiotics is getting her past all three diseases. House of Strays is collecting donations for Canella at cuddly.com, and you can find her there or on my Twitter feeds, Canella with two N's. I thank you, and Canella thanks you. Perhaps the most amazing thing about my 10 years at MSNBC was the fact that Joe Scarborough and his producers, especially his chief henchman, ever got their own show on the air because nobody I have ever worked with in radio or television, in sports or news, in the 20th century or the 21st ever spent more time trying to screw with other programs on the same network than did Joe Scarborough. And until just about the time I left in 2011, the guy he sent in to do most of the sabotage for him was this henchman guy. The reason this should matter to you now is Scarborough's henchman was Chris Licht, the new president of CNN. And if they scoured the nation 
to find the worst person to run CNN in a time when democracy is threatened by one political party and tepidly defended by another, it's Chris Licht. I know, I know. You turn on the TV and you see Joe Scarborough and you see exactly what I see. A blank, dazed, darting, paranoid, no-soul, stupid, check-engine-light look. But if you don't trust me, trust my scars, my Joey scars. Behind that vapid face is a master saboteur. Early in 2008, the late Tim Russert called me and warned me that the GOP had upped its pressure on me. He said he had heard from somebody in New York that somebody in New York was going into the office of the president of NBC News saying that Joe Scarborough couldn't get his friend John McCain to come on to his new morning show because I was so critical of McCain on Countdown. Tim was not sure it was Scarborough, but if it wasn't, who else could have gotten in to see the president of NBC News other than Scarborough or his executive producer? The evidence for the new CNN president, Mr. Licht, being directly involved in interfering with programming to benefit somebody else's friends or political cronies was vague in 2008, but not at all vague two years later. Early in January 2010, the Republican candidate to fill the Senate seat of the late Ted Kennedy, Scott Brown, the former semi-nude model, was at a rally when one of his supporters talked about, quote, shoving a curling iron up the backside of the Democratic Senate candidate, Martha Coakley. Scott Brown clearly heard the remark from the crowd and responded, quote, we could do that. On January 18th on Countdown, I did a brief commentary about how unsuitable Brown was for public office. I said he was, quote, an irresponsible, homophobic, racist, reactionary, ex-nude model, teabagging supporter of violence against women and against politicians with whom he disagrees, unquote. I had quotes from Brown. I had videotape of him disparaging his minority opponent in a local election to her face at a debate to back up what I said. An hour later, Joe Scarborough commenced a tweet storm against me. Quote, Olbermann calls Brown a homophobic, racist reactionary who supports violence against women. How reckless and how sad. It's no longer enough to simply disagree with someone. I'm sorry, I just fell into my Scarborough impression. Just as when Beck called a president racist, this sort of rhetorical extremism must be discouraged. It cheapens the debate. End quote and impression. Now, there was a standing rule at MSNBC. You want to criticize another MSNBC personality? Go ahead. Have a blast. But it must be on the air on MSNBC, and the other person must have an opportunity to reply in real time in the same show or in some kind of face-to-face -face way. No hit and run. No Joe Scarborough tweet storms. If you criticize them by name or by inference in any other medium, newspaper, interview, radio, social media, you were to receive an automatic suspension. The next day, January 19th, I called the president of MSNBC, Phil Griffin, and I asked how long Joe Scarborough's automatic suspension was going to be. Griffin asked me to come into the office a little earlier than usual and to go see him. He said he had already had a meeting about the tweets that morning with... Scarborough's executive producer, Chris Licht. Griffin explained that Scarborough, according to Licht, considered Scott Brown a friend. 
More importantly, Chris Licht warned Griffin that if Griffin followed through and enforced the suspension rule, Scarborough would have no other option than to go to the press and tell reporters, especially reporters at right-wing websites like Tucker Carlson's The Daily Caller, that he, Scarborough, had been suspended because he, Scarborough, was a conservative, but I was a liberal, and that I, and not Phil Griffin, ran MSNBC. What can I do? Griffin was scared. I told him he could fire Scarborough and Licht because they had just tried to blackmail him, and eventually he was going to have to fire them both anyway, but that I knew he would not do this, and that I knew now that he would not suspend Scarborough either. And Griffin did not suspend him. Partial score, Scarborough's friends, two, MSNBC's rules of behavior, nothing. But Phil Griffin did send out a memo to the entire company insisting that anybody who criticized another MSNBC show or host in another medium would be suspended, except Scarborough, who had just done exactly that and then threatened his own employers. On January 25th, Brian Stelter's old blog, TV Newser, got a copy of Griffin's memo. They wondered why Scarborough had not been suspended, so they called the MSNBC president, and then they printed, quote, Griffin responds to TV Newser, quote, an important rule was broken. I spoke to Keith, and he said in the spirit of teamwork and the free flow of ideas, he didn't think it warranted punishment or suspension. I also talked to Joe, and he apologized to me that's why I made the decision that this didn't rise to the level of punishment, but I felt it was necessary to reiterate my long-standing policy. 100% bullcrap. Reiterate my long-standing policy, which I just did not enforce against Joe Scarborough. The whole thing was totally fabricated. Licht and Scarborough had threatened to smear their own bosses in the right-wing echo chamber. They should have been both fired on the spot. In May 2010... Scarborough said something on the air about a Democrat getting away with not being investigated for something. I forget the details. I didn't bother to look it up. You can if you want. Then, Marcos Molitsis, the editor of the Daily Coast website, and not just a regular contributor to Countdown, but somebody who had been promoting the show and the MSNBC brand on that website every day for five years, Marcos sent a snarky but legitimate tweet questioning Scarborough's credentials to criticize others who had not been investigated for stuff. Marcos invoked the staffer who died in an accident in Joe Scarborough's congressional office. Scarborough then attacked Melitzis on Twitter, inaccurately claiming Melitzis had accused Scarborough of murder. A few days after that, I got a phone call from the MSNBC president, Phil Griffin, and if he got a phone call rather than a call to come into his office, you know he was really scared. Griffin told me, Chris Licht has been in to see me. Joe won't put up with having Marcos Melitzis on his network anymore. Not only that, but Licht says many of Joe's friends, who also appear in Dayside and Primetime, won't come on if Marcos Melitzis is permitted to continue here. Chris is insisting that Marcos be banned from MSNBC immediately. Chris says he's afraid that if we don't do that, Joe won't come into work tomorrow. Upon hearing that, I laughed, and I congratulated Phil Griffin on the clear win-win he'd just been given. But Phil was very bad at enforcing MSNBC's rules, but very good at creating new ones on the spot to protect Joe Scarborough and Chris Licht and their friends. I'm banning Melitzis from any further appearances on MSNBC. I said, Phil, he's a contributor to my show. 
You are suspending my contributor who has driven hundreds of thousands of viewers to Countdown and MSNBC, and I don't have any say in it. You are owned by Joe Scarborough and Chris Licht. What you now have to worry about is whether I tell this story on the air tonight or I just wait and tell it later. Phil now got conciliatory because he was scared again and said it could be just a suspension if I cooperated. So I called Marcos. He said he enjoyed his contributions to Countdown. He also did occasional appearances on the old Ed Schultz MSNBC show. And he said if there were a chance at resuming them, he'd prefer to at least try that. So Marcos and I went along with Griffin suspending Marcos Melitzis, and to my knowledge, Marcos Melitzis has not been seen on MSNBC since. I wish I had better notes on some of my conversations from the 2008, 9, 10, 11 era about those conversations with the hosts and the producers of the other shows like Schultz and Rachel Maddow's show and even Chris Matthews and Hardball, I must have heard a variation of this statement a dozen times from these people. Guess who was in Griffin's office explaining that such and such is Joe's friend and Phil really needs to make sure we lay off him? Chris Licht. It was usually an expletive in the middle between Chris and Licht. I remember one of my producers at the MSNBC version of Countdown telling me that one of the other producers told him that Licht had gone to NBC News President Steve Kappas with an actual list of Republicans that Maddow and Olbermann needed to stop criticizing because they were Joe's, here's the word again, friends. And we were hurting Morning Joe. What's amazing is that setting aside the issues of unrevealed torrid love affairs, when CNN fired its 9 p.m. host Chris Cuomo, President Jeff Zucker, and Senior Vice President Allison Gallust, they fired them in essence because they interfered with CNN content and practices in order to do favors for people who were their friends, or in Cuomo's case, their relatives. At MSNBC, Interfering with MSNBC content and practices to do favors for friends was seemingly the only reason Chris Licht had a job. So, CNN got rid of left-wingers for a terrible violation of journalistic ethics and then hired as president a right-wing henchman who had committed exactly the same journalistic ethical problems and who, for his act, the first one of his career at CNN killed off the only national television show that regularly held up Fox News, Newsmax, and all the rest to the world to show that they were the threats to democracy that they are. This is CNN. I've done all the damage I can do here. Here are the credits. Most of the music arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, who are the Countdown musical directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray, produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, which was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. And our announcer today was my friend John Dean. Everything else was pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 847th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Don't forget to keep arresting him while we still can. The next scheduled Countdown is tomorrow. 
So till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.